1: To Primal Screen, a, tri- a triple R film criticism show and podcast. Welcome, all. I am your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, the thing of this Fantastic Four broadcasting in the virtual studio, joined by the human torch, Sally Christie.
0: Hello. Haven't
2: Flame been called on. that
1: before. <laughs> <laughs> the invisible woman, Flick Forward. <laughs>
2: sure i'll go with that
1: <laughs> <laughs> and joining us again because she loves a film festival it's our Ms. fantastic Ceres howard
3: miss fantastic
2: <laughs> is-, is that a real character
1: it's well it's mr fantastic technically but i couldn't give myself that name that would just be wrong <laughs>
2: But now we know which one you really wanted.
3: (laughs) It's and time. Uh, Well, thank you for not making me the thing. And that includes (laughs) in a John Carpenter, Howard Hawksy sense as well. Much flattered. (laughs) You're most welcome. Um,
1: We'll take the second of our deep dives into the program of MIFF 68 and a Half, this year's reduced online-only version of the Melbourne International Film Festival which would be currently filming, filling Melbourne's Forum, Acme Kino, Hoyts Extreme Screen, and Astor Cinemas, if not for a certain global pandemic. We will be gripped by a sense of our impending demise with Amy Simons' "She Dies Tomorrow." Then we'll flood the joint with righteous revenge against a Guatemalan dictator in Jairo Bustamante's "La Loro- La La Then we'll strap ourselves in through a 14-hour road trip through an alternate canon of cinema in Mark Cousins' documentary series, Women Make Film. And finally, we'll do a quick lightning round of spotlighting other films we've individually seen and enjoyed during Myth 68 and a Half so far. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on the Facebook, the Instagram, and the Twitter. So, without further faffing about... Uh, shall we? Shall we get into the films? Let's do it, listeners. Please join us on the couch for our first film.
0: Do I have to wear the helmet?
3: Uh, yeah, definitely very important to wear the helmet. Um, you know these things look like big toys, but uh, at the end of the day, if you hit anything too fast and too straight on, this thing can flip right the fuck over. Well, I'm gonna die anyway. She dies
1: tomorrow. The second feature, written and directed by Amy Simons. Uh, features Amy, played by Caitlin Scheel, who is ravaged by the notion that she is going to die tomorrow, which sends her down a dizzying emotional spiral. When her sceptical friend Jane, played by Jane Adams, discovers Amy's feeling of imminent death to be contagious, they both begin bizarre journeys through what might be the last day of their lives. Cerise. Did this vision of a world where everybody is suddenly gripped with the feeling that this might finally be the end before st- spending the day staring out the window contemplating it resonate
3: with you at all? Ah, look, there's. Is, this is one of a few films I've already seen at this year's Myth that seem uncanny in terms of their uh, the mood they generate match to uh, a certain topicality that I think the filmmakers couldn't have foreseen um, there there are so many films in this year's program that if they're not outright dystopian, uh, at least still conjure up a mood of unease and despondency and uh, and speak to this strange time we're in. Um, so you could say at least in as much as there is this weird synchronicity between the the mood of this film and the mood of the moment, then yes, this this did leave me a little unsettled. Um, mind you, I didn't have to uh, keep reminding myself it's only a film. It's only a film. It didn't quite get under my skin to that extent. It wasn't a full uh, "Last House on the Left" type uh, <laughs> experience, um, mercifully. Um, it was quite an effective little film. It's 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 an odd odd film. I found myself strangely unsatisfied by its close, but then I also don't know how I would satisfactorily end such a film as this. So. Um, and, my, and 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 I, I don't particularly want to discuss the the ending because that's no fun for anyone, is it? Uh, so <laughs> it's just it's an awkward little film to talk about, as as some are. Um, but it, it is an effective mood piece, um, and the idea that people can infect others with their mood is is something that is perhaps a thing. You know, people can bring other people down. We we we. Sometimes refer to other people as being a bit of a downer. That that some people uh, can be relied upon to to um, not exactly bring the party to a, an occasion. And, and this is a film of people who fail quite uh, well, painfully to to elevate others. And uh, it, it actually doesn't seem that far fetched. It's high concept, but not that high, if you know what I mean. Mm. So yeah, I loved a, them. Yeah.
2: I loved one of the reviews titled it um saying uh it makes uh when anxiety goes viral, which I thought was so perfect because it's kind of the, the disease is the anxiety in this film. I mean it's it's kind of all about those anxious feels and how they, you know, are communicated to the to the rest of the your you know loved ones and, and group. It's you kind of you're right though about it being this weird film to talk about though, because it's so it sort of combines so many different genres like it's a comedy and kind of a drama as well and it has these sort of sci-fi-esque elements I suppose. Um, I really love Jane Adams as Jane. I think she's so perfectly cast and there's this wonderful moment when she gate crashes her sister-in-law's birthday party in her floral pyjamas and <laughs> You let them all know that she's going to die tomorrow, and it's. I think moments like that that I really um, had a good time with. I had such high expectations for this film. Um, the trailer is really phenomenal, and the film has this really striking and, and memorable visual design. Um, Amy Semmets has also co-produced Barry Jenkins' um, "Medicine for Melancholy" in 2008, and you can kind of see sparks of influence, <clears throat> possibly in the way in which like. She uses these coloured lights to to play with the actors' faces. Um, I did I did laugh a lot during this film, um, and I was also quite touched in moments um, by some of the interactions between characters and kind of the weight of of their fate and like their loneliness and their desperation. Um, there's lots of like frenetic and sort of panicked energy to it as well. Um, but <clears throat> I don't know. I think that I usually nearly well. I nearly always love these kind of strange indie hybrids. I've got a bit of a, I I, I think I'm really usually very drawn to them Um, and I like the way in which they're like pairing these arty aesthetics with like genres like sci-fi and horror. But I think that sometimes when there's so many different elements, it's really hard for it to be well executed. And um, I do feel as though this film sort of meanders along and maybe, kind of really similar to what you're saying, Cerise, it's more of a feeling rather than a story, which is kind of, in some ways, it's such a, you know, it's totally fine, it's very beautifully shot, and so it's fine for it just to be a feeling, but for those people who are kind of looking for something perhaps a bit more engaging in a narrative sense, um, might feel a bit
0: disappointed.
1: Sal, did you catch this?
0: I didn't see this one, although I did get a um, text message just before the show from Emma Westwood, who is our, our our friend of the show and frequently on it, and she said this film made her want to die tomorrow. So-
1: wow. <laughs>
0: wow. Struggling. I- Emma Westwood's very short review and I said, I'm going to say that on the air
3: tonight. <laughs> that means it either really worked for her or really didn't. I'm not sure.
1: Wow, I, f- I feel like I'm going to be a little bit contrary to- on tonight's show. I was quietly stunned by this. This might be the sleeper of myth for me this year. I, I love the style of it. I love the cast, which is like an Ocean's Eleven of post New American cinema character actors. Um, it's rare that I see a cast where I know almost every actor in it. Yeah. Um, I loved how tiny it is. Like even the credits, like clearly a very small crew worked on this. Uh, it seems like a very indie movie. Simon's actually paid for it with her earnings from acting in last year's Pet Cemetery remake. Oh. Um, she financed it through that. Um, I I don't know. Yeah, I think there's something about this film that just really I love I, I love the indiness of it. I love the 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 fact that it invokes the, the realization when people realize they're going to die invoked many reactions some of them had kind of got this thrashing fear but a lot of them had this benign acceptance which is really interesting um i think in some ways it feels like an american indie cousin to last voluntary is melancholia
2: i had the exact same reference written down i i actually i feel like melancholia is a stronger film but i oh it is completely see that connection yeah
1: i I mean yeah melancholia was my number two film of the last decade so (laughs) you know but i think this is yeah very much an american indie cousin to that i thought it was a lot funnier than i expected it to be Mm. um it's quietly enthralling and, yeah, and as you say, Cerise, very, seems to really tap into our current moment. Um, but also it's all, it feels to me like a damn fine reflection of the time between waking up and reading the news in the morning. <laughs> it's that point where it's like, hey, everything's fine life and then you read that and you're like, oh, everything's going to hell. And, and then that's the rest of your day, staring out windows, wondering. Um, I felt the moment, there's a moment in this film where multiple characters arrive at the same realisation at once. I thought that moment was transcendent. I thought it was beautifully directed um, that ends with kind of a tear running down Tunday at cheek. It was just like, yeah, it just really struck me. I also feel like this might be the most rewatchable film about apocal- apocalyptic dread ever made. I feel like I could easily come back to this because it does play with so many moods and shades and colours and it's not just downbeat and it's, and it, and it is, has these moments of humour and these little, kind of character turns and as you said before um uh uh, uh flick all hail jane adams <laughs>
2: <laughs> she's so wonderful i love her in um Joe Swanberg's easy and obviously um todd salon's happiness she's just so she's one of my favorite actors of all time i just really love her on screen
1: she's um, very, was- really wonderful
2: She is. You know, it's funny. When I was watching this film, I was actually thinking if this is the horror offering for Miff, Paul is going to be bitterly disappointed. (laughs) That was my first thought when I was watching this film because I'm like, it's not horror enough.
1: (laughs) No, we've picked the two closest Mm horror-adjacent titles that MIF have had. I love that we've sorted that out too because, you know, we have a bit of form for the horror genre here on Primal Screen.
0: (laughs) Paul, you and I were talking the other week about, um, I guess, the lack of genre cinema that was included in MIF this year. It was really, I guess, slim pickings when it came to looking for horror and things like that in this year's program.
1: Yeah, there wasn't any night shift. I was a bit disappointed. (laughs) although. Another one of my possibly slightly controversial reviews today. Uh, today um, I'll just flag now. There was a little too little horror in something else as well that I might get a little agitated about, but we'll we'll get there later. Um, but yes, I thought she dies tomorrow was it was just I don't know. It just really it was it, it, images from it have begun to kind of have, have continued to stay with me. Yeah, a, it did a couple stick of days with after as watching. Well.
2: It. Yeah, I had that same feeling actually. I'm not sure how I feel that. I had, I, I both felt a bit disappointed, similar to what you were saying, Cerise. Like at the end, I was a bit like, hmm. But then it did stick with me. So then that says something about it, surely. Well,
3: there was a powerful sequence early on when the colors first started pulsating, and I was reminded of some uh, some films with real horror bona fides as classics. And I was thinking of the Ring films and um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Pulse. There was a bit of a, a bit of misdirection early on that might suggest that technology had a part to play in whatever was going on and infecting people and it that, seemed- that- yeah, that, that 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 gave me the heebie-jeebies. Um. <laughs>
2: in some ways, it seems like a really strange film to be watching as we're kind of in this city-wide lockdown with this airborne virus. Like it's like maybe <laughs> not the best. Um, I don't know. Maybe not for everyone right now.
1: But but maybe there's something. Yeah, I see. I almost thought thought this film gave us something to take from that and mm, a way to respond sadistic. to this moment yeah. with that sort of benign like. This is what it is. Okay. Mm. Let's reflect. You know, I, I kind of dug that about. I think that's what really surprised me about the film um, without going into too many specifics, obviously. So, She Dies Tomorrow is available to rent online via MIF 68 and a half until August 23rd. Just head to their website, which is 2020.mif.com.au. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM Digital online via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, Cerise Howard, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now, if you if you please, join us by the electronic device of your choice for our second film of the evening. <laughs> A little bonus for all our Spanish-speaking audiences out there. La Llorona is the third feature directed by Jairo Bustamante. Melding a fictional narrative with the real-life events and aftermath of the silent holocaust of Guatemala's native Mayan people during the 1980s and early 90s, elderly former dictator Enrique Monteverde, seemingly a fictional counterpart of Guatemalan dictator José Efrain Rios Montt, is found guilty of spearheading the brutal genocide, but his guilty verdict is overturned because of a technicality that allows him to return to his palatial home, outside which outraged citizens hold constant protests. Despite this, the Monteverde family, wife Carmen, daughter Natalia, and her daughter, Sarah, along with live-in maid Valeriana and bodyguard Letonia. Manage to live relatively peacefully with their servants until Enrique's increasingly erratic and senile behaviour drives most of his staff to quit. Shortly thereafter, a young woman, Alma, arrives as a new worker, and spirit, supernatural activity ensues. Sally, did this not at all part of the conjuring universe? Slice of political horror give you the chills?
0: <laughs> I, I really, I really love this. Um. It's interesting with Cerise saying before that there seems to be an unintentional uh, theme with the films this year at MIF sort of reflecting with what we're going through and I I think that this fits in really well with that. it's about a family that is essentially trapped in their house for very, <laughs> very different reasons. Um, this was a really beautiful, I think, interesting new interpretation of that classic myth of the weeping woman. Um, so we've got this family that is in domestic crisis and it's made out from the get-go that the, the monster and the horror in this film is um, Enrique the, the the patriarch of the family? Um, and, you know, sort of shining a light on his war crimes and how horrific that is, is the kind of the big key thing here. Um, I, I found it really incredible how this is put in the horror genre, where everything that made me frightened and scared and uncomfortable in this film was from him. Mm. Any moments where I felt unease beca- was because of him. Um, and, there's a key focus in the film, I guess, his cruelty towards women and he's surrounded by women this entire film and how how do they cope with, um, you know, the horrific things that he is responsible for? Do they deny and then deny victims their voices or, um, you know, do they kind of stand up to this man that they're living with? So I, I found it to be a really interesting way that they've looked at this the these horrors that have happened that are fictionalized in this film obviously but you know have happened yeah
1: yeah it's um i looked a little into the 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 silent holocaust um that they refer to in this film lala Ronya is not only the name of the legend of the weeping woman it's also the name of the site of one of the regime's earliest massacres oh so there's a nice little uh, kind of mm. reference dovetail that I'm sure is uh, an irony uh, not uh, very I think it's very much intentional um, yeah given this employs the, the the horror tropes and the legend of the weeping woman to examine kind of guilt and justice in regards mm-hmm. to this real life genocide um, you, you, I kind of expected this to be heavy on politics and light on chills like when I saw that this was the most obvious horror film yes. in the lineup, I was like, "Oh god, this is just yeah. going to be on politics."
0: And even the trailer for this looks like it's going to be very heavy on politics and light on chills. Very much so, it really sort of draws out the political side of it.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I would say to folks expecting that, guess again. I think I'd love this as well. was really, it's it builds steadily, and it's certainly not a horror film for multiplexes, but it does build this kind of increasing, increasingly asphyxiating sense of dread um and as you say like whenever Enrico's going around you know you are kind of always like what's he doing what whole what sway does he hold over these people in his house and it's interesting because all the women at, at at the start like it starts with all the women in his family sort of saying this incantation almost like to kind of protect their home and so you get this idea of a united front when it first starts and then as the film goes on you're suddenly realizing how many of these like how much stockholm syndrome is there going on here with the wife with the daughter with the maid with the like like how how long have these people how did they get here and how are they held against the you know are they being held against their will and have gotten used to this situation like it's so intriguing, and the mm-hmm. film doesn't reveal their their sort of how they're all connected to certain things until later in the film. It's exquisitely shot. It's one of the it's most beautiful, beautiful films.
0: The tracking shots in it are absolutely incredible. Like, it's just gorgeous.
1: Just stunning. And, like, there's like sort of use of beautiful pools of light and this hazy light at times and shadow. Um, and it's beautifully acted and, and staged as well. As you kind of got these testimonies of real world hol- horrors slowly blending seamlessly into the horrors of myth, witchcraft, and vengeance um and when things do get and things do get a bit ghostly towards the end it's genuinely creepy yeah it is actually actually did get a a couple of chills from that last act for some moments in that last act um and it's it kind of and it also you know resonates obviously with the loss and anger of generations of people but yeah i just found this it's it's told with elegance with economy so much atmosphere and rage. I, I think it's it's an intelligent work of horror that mm. that really resonates. Um, I
0: think so too, and I also think it, it it really captures that I guess intergenerational trauma that war has, mm. and that's a very real thing. Um, how you know this this gets passed down, and these things that we you know I guess perhaps you know had people close to us in these horrific acts how do we cope with that how do we deal with that um and I think another thing that was incredible about this which is worth mentioning is the sound design in it mm-hmm. um it was so the the main family in this film is sort of hostage in their house almost because of protesters so we hear them Constantly throughout the film, their chants, the music they're playing. There's even points where um in the house they're saying how beautiful the music is they're playing sounds and all this sort of thing. So it's um this constant background noise, which sometimes peaks and sometimes lulls. One of my favorite scenes was the scene where um she's trying to do yoga or meditate and yes. you could just hear all these protests. <laughs> <laughs> like she's kind of it's just like it's impossible.
1: <laughs> that gave me a lot of 2020 energy as well
0: yeah it did
1: yeah like the constant protests outside the mm-hmm. house mm-hmm. um and that constant presence it's and you're right it almost soundtracks half the movie it does um, yeah it really does uh, and it, it's funny you mentioned the sound design because there's it right off the bat there's brilliant use like they start on on a woman's face they start on the face of Carmen yeah uh, Enrico's wife and she's re- reciting this incantation and then as they pull out and you start seeing more characters you start hearing them. Mm. And layers and layers and layers of sound are added as 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 the camera pulls out really beautifully done this is a yeah. film of such exquisite craft and yet it doesn't yeah and yet it feels every inch like like a like a, an art house horror movie yeah it does um yeah i don't think it's an accident that that um the re, the new to australia streaming service shudder have picked this up as a, as a shudder originally in english speaking te- um territories because yeah, I think it absolutely belongs. Um, yeah, I, I was I was really, again, this is a film that really surprised me.
0: Yeah, me too. And I, I feel there was um, The Curse of the Weeping Woman that was released last year, kind of a very big Conjuring-y one. Yeah. I the- didn't see it. Cerise, I think maybe you did. Perhaps. I did see it. it.
3: It was okay. It was okay. Uh, yeah. But
0: um, it, it's, it's a little sad that this may get lost in with that mm. perhaps. Yeah.
1: Or oh, maybe some people might, you know, go for one, confused, like thinking they picked the right one, and fall onto this and enjoy it. Who who knows? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's great that a service like Shutter are kind of getting it out there because yep. once once Miff is done, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, but if um, if you have no desire to be a Shutter subscriber or anything, and you really want to catch <laughs> this film. Um, La Llorogna is available to rent online v- via MIFF 68.5 until August 23rd. Um, Sally and I thoroughly encourage you to do so. Yes, it was Just great. head to uh, MIFF's website, which is 2020.miff.com.au, and that is La R. You're back with primal screen on triple r who are indeed your station in isolation radiothon is kicking off on friday so please if you can if you're in any position at all and we realize it is difficult for people but um if you can find it somewhere please uh donate and help us keep going this uh this radiothon might be the most important in triple r's history um The person that you are listening talking to at the moment is Paul Anthony Nelson. uh, With me here in the Primal Screen virtual studio, uh, Cerise Howard, Flick Ford and Sally Christie.
0: For 13 decades and on all six filmmaking continents, thousands of women have been directing films too. Some of the best films. What movies did they make? What techniques did they use? What can we learn about cinema from them?
1: So the, the latest film in our spotlight on Myth 68 and a Half is Women Make Film, which is the 11th long-form documentary written and directed by Mark Cousins. As told through clips from 183 female directors, this epic revisionist history of the cinema focuses on women's integral role in the development of film art. Using almost a 1,000 film extracts from 13 decades in five continents, Cousins asks how films are made, shot and edited, how stories are shaped and how movies depict life, love, politics, humour and death, all through the compelling lens of some of the world's greatest filmmakers, all of them women. Flick, now I understand you've only seen the first part of this. Is that is that right?
2: That's right, yeah. I'm a I'm a late,
1: late bloomer maybe. Late bloomer? Has
0: anyone <laughs> made it all the way through?
1: I have uh three parts two two parts three
0: parts in i'm I'm, I'm nine hours
1: in yeah
2: i'm i feel so hooked though that i I am got a marathon ahead of me
1: well (laughs) yeah i'm I'm game i was gonna ask did this journey through the looking glass into an alternate history of cinema reveal a wonderland
2: (laughs) you know what it it honestly did i the first thing i said within the first like 10 minutes of watching this film was this is the best 20 bucks i've ever spent ever (laughs) um (laughs) i uh i'm so uh in by this i um i feel like it really touched on something that maybe uh, a lot of listeners and other film nerds have had this experience growing up but i i remember subscribing i won't say what film magazine, this was, but I was a subscriber to a film magazine and they ha- would have these specials and they'd often, like, couple it with another magazine that was, you know, of a similar sort of interest to their readership. So every now and then I'd get this, I'd get the film magazine, but I'd also get a soft porn mag, like FHM, <laughs> um, included in. And it was this assumption that if I liked movies, I must be a straight man. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of <laughs> It was, and even the reviews in this film magazine would be like you know the film I'm
3: magazine know. flick Which I'm not that.
2: no <laughs> I've, I've, <laughs>
3: I've 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 got to say is it is
1: it a word from maybe the middle chapter of the star wars trilogy
2: Yes.
3: My yeah, <laughs> right, that was my guess too. Yes.
2: Yep. Um, mm. And they would, like, the reviews weren't particularly well written. They'd be like, you know, oh, how hot is Jessica Alba? Oh, you know, like, it was, it was pretty <laughs> terrible reviews. All right.
1: Incisive criticism.
2: Yeah. And so I remember just as a really, you know, in my early teens, just having the message that, i was outside they were the gatekeepers to cinema and i was distinctly outside of it and unfortunately that feeling kind of continued on um i remember um all of the films that i learned about a lot of the films that i learned about what cons- constituted the canon of cinema was all male directors and um even with like going to union, being in film production classes the majority of the class were dudes Um, And then even more recently, I remember seeing that documentary Hitchcock Truffaut about these two iconic filmmakers and they had all these interviews with directors, all of the directors who were talking about, you know, the impact of cinema and the role of cinema, all dudes. And Mm. so routinely I've been told that cinema is outside of my experience and I've always had to kind of um, negotiate that. And it's just such a powerful. This film, Women Make Film, is such a powerful redressing of that miseducation, and it's a. It definitely is a reeducation on the amazing role that women have played. So I am, I am so hooked into this, and I encourage everyone to commit to the next fourteen hours of. Um, this I don't know. Odyssey in film.
1: Shall, shall we go in an order of who has seen the least to the most? So I think <laughs> so. Sir, so, uh, so Flick has seen one part. Cerise has
3: seen two. Sure. Um, it's funny because I mean it, Mark Cousins has been something of a, a film revisionist historian for some time. His the story of film started off with a few direct provocations and insisted that the canon was racist by omission which uh, yep, and now this this series begins very early on with Tilda Swinton in the voiceover asserting that the canon, that all of film history has been sexist by omission. Um, yep, yep, big mm. tick there again too. Um, I hear Mark Cousins' voice everywhere here, even though very sensibly yeah. he knew to have all of the voiceover, at least in as much as I've heard through some like 16, 17 out of 40 chapters across these five episodes. Uh, it's all been voiced by women. Um, I still hear his accent weirdly, even his Northern, uh, his, his Irish, um, his very peculiar, particular enunciation. I can't help but hear it weirdly, which is slightly annoying in this context. But nonetheless, his research is impeccable and his dedication to the cause likewise. And he has unearthed the most remarkable. Um, assemblage of footage of films from filmmakers known and much lesser known from all around the world, from every era of film history. And it's um, an incredible blessing to have this. And I'm really looking forward to the next three episodes of another representing another nine hours of deep diving into uh, an alternate history of the art form that I'm so enamored of.
1: As, as you say, Sures, it's written because he writes it. Like he's mm. written and directed this. It's very much written in his syntax, yeah. and I suspect he's directed the actors that way as well because they speak in the same, to- like the same kind of pauses and the same it's really kind of clipped
3: tone. clips. Yeah, um, yeah, phrasing and a, a certain didacticism, which isn't out of place here, admittedly. But um, yeah, lots of pithy little lines and little points of order, and yeah, it's so distinctive. Um, yeah. So, if I have one niggle, it's just that it's very auteurist. Directors, 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 as if women haven't been hugely important <laughs> in every other field of filmmaking. But that cinema, that's another thing it needs to address yet. Yeah. Um, the cult of the director, that can be.
0: I, I think they did They did cover their butts with that at the start of it by saying they're focusing on directors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree, Cerise, that women are involved in all aspects of um, film. But that this does have the choice of focusing on directors. Uh I really yeah this is fantastic. Uh one thing that I have loved with this is the approach that it has taken to um exploring these directors and their works in a way that isn't usual. It's broken up um, into 40 different chapters, starting with opening, then there's, a you know, looking at how tracking is used, looking at how song and dance is used, um, a whole list of different things. So it's not here is um, some early filmmakers, Alice Gee. Going on chronologically to now, it doesn't work that way, and I think that is one of the most engaging aspects of this. And there is so much covered in um, this documentary that I've never even heard of. Um, so many introductions to so many films and directors that I can't wait to start discovering. And it's I was never, taking
2: notes. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's never yeah. felt um, alienating watching it either. My partner was watching this. Um, with me and he is you know he likes film not but not in the way that that I love it and he even said he said this is incredible like so it's it's very accessible even if you know you're not of of that kind of world and it does seem like a really gentle journey it's it's great it's really beautiful and yeah just I, I guess now we are used to seeing things especially on social media there's lots of Pieces which come up with, like, lists, top ten lists, this kind of list, that kind of list, um, best female directors. And we always see the same, same people. Uh, it's very refreshing to see a whole bunch of women getting focused that we're we're not used to seeing on lists. So, yeah, I've, I've loved this. Um, so I'm, I'm nine hours in. I've got two more to go. How many? I've got six more hours to go. Very much looking forward to it.
1: Five hours, yeah, because it's 14 all up. Oh, five
0: hours. Cut. Yeah, because
1: the last part, because the first four parts are three hours each and the last one's two hours each, Uh two hours. Yeah, so it's interesting that you've all, you, you all haven't gotten to part four yet. Um, Why, what happens, but, Paul? What happens? Yeah. <laughs> part, part four is about genre.
2: Spoiler
1: alert. Start, or at least starts um, with genre. Okay. I will say, I'll, I'll double back. I, I, firstly, I'll say this is a phenomenal undertaking. Mm. um and i love it's it's um it's brief of imagine like because i I felt like this is less a documentary and more of a syllabus it's more of a film class like that yeah like broken up into sections like you could teach a class using this Mm -hmm. you know you you could just play it and then stop it and speak to the the segment um and it's not it's not as exhaustive as a documentary may be, which is a bit of a shock when something is 14 hours long. Um, it's after a few parts, like, it's funny. It, it, certain voiceovers, I think, work better than others. Like, Tilda, I could listen to all day.
0: She's so good.
1: There is there is an actor who comes in in the middle of part two who sounds a little bit like BBC ASMR Siri. And i got to admit started nodding off both my, <laughs> my partner and I were both <laughs> slightly uh drowsy um and then it picked up again when was um I think it was um Kerry Fox gets involved mm. um it's um yeah and I think like the idea of teaching a film class with nothing but examples of female directed films is such a brilliant inspired idea like I feel like yeah, why hasn't somebody done this before um I think that's that's it's such a cool thing, and I think it's that and the amount of filmmakers this introduces us to, and the amount of films this just introduces, introduces us to, as well as films that I like. You're just baffled at the way that they haven't been widely distributed or seen. Um, there is one particular film called *The Last Stage*, which is a, a film um, from a director, uh, Wanda uh, Wanda Jak- Jakubowska. And she was an Auschwitz concentration camp survivor, and a year later directed a film about being in the Auschwitz camps, and it looks phenomenal. And it's like why isn't this up there with the Schindler's lists and the Come and Sees and the, you know, like it's kind of incredible that this film is so difficult to well, find. you want to Come just...
3: and See there, Paul. Uh, Ellen Klimov's wife, Larissa Shapitko, features a few times as she should in this as well. And Women Make Film, another incredible filmmaker. Mm. So yeah. little known in the West, alas.
1: Films like The Ascent and Wings and and You and Me, yeah, uh, she gets a lot of play in this. Um, I don't think it's perfect, though. I have some I have some criticisms. Um, one is, I think, I think two, I think at times, I think he comes back to the same films too often. Yep. Um, there's a number of times and the same directors too often.
0: Yeah, already in part um, three, I'm noticing that
1: yeah and 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 ways when you can kind of like well i i feel like i can think of at least two other examples you could have used here from filmmakers that were barely seen here and he does like the the voiceover does say at the beginning that yes we're not, not all your favorite directors are going to be here but when you get through all five parts and directors like lena vertmuller and amy heckling haven't been mentioned it's kind of bizarre like and then you get to chapter four when they, they plan to talk about genre and they start with melodrama. They get to sci-fi and horror. The horror section shows an elitist contempt for horror that actually pissed me off. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, they look at ten, like the section's called Hell and Horror. Only three of the films, the ten films they discuss, could actually be termed horror movies. The others, are one's a documentary, one's a drama. Like they start talking about tragic events in films or tragic tragedy almost rather than horror and it's like the only films that get mentioned are girl walks home alone at night the babadook and um nothing bad can happen those are the only horror or horror adjacent films that even get mentioned the whole section and it's like no you know no raw no stephanie rothman's the velvet vampire like i understand that a highfalutin film class probably wouldn't teach exploitation. So obviously, okay, fine, if you don't want to mention, this might not be the place for Doris Wishman or or Roberta (laughs) Finlay. But it's kind of like, it just felt very elitist to me. It's like, if you're going to do a horror section, show a goddamn horror film. It really, really annoyed me. And after that, i got to admit, the film had my hackles up for a bit. So I loved, I adored part one. I liked part two and liked part three a little bit more had a lot of mixed feelings about part four and then part five kind of brought it home i think it would have benefited from cousin's previous work uh the story of film was broken into 15 one-hour episodes i think this would have benefited from that structure Um, I've
0: seen um the story of film which is available on doc play so i'm I'm going to start watching it but it, it does it take the same kind of approach
1: it does. It focuses on different eras, so okay. each episode is an era of of cinema or a mm-hmm. or a type of yeah or
3: movement or um, yep. yeah
2: okay yeah actually, and uh, oh, I was about to say I am embarrassed. So I actually own a Story of Film, and I've just I feel like it just feels a bit too much like work. That I was like, oh, yeah. I've put off watching it, but now having watched this, I am like, oh, I can totally. It's well,
3: so it has interviews in it as well. There is a bit a bit of a different format here. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Okay,
1: but yeah, I. Yeah. No, you should should check it out. It's good to dip in and out of. And I think, yeah, I think this would have benefited from more of that structure. I think the three-hour chapters are quite chunky. I think when you first jump in, it's such a revelation. It's such a rush. And it's funny, everybody I've heard raving about this has mainly watched parts one and two. And it's not that it gets worse or anything like that, except for its of genre. Uh, but the rest of it, it, it keeps up a high standard. But I just think, yeah, maybe a little bit of a structural change. But other than that, look, I highly recommend. Look, I think it's it's just it's essential that this exists, and yeah. it's, and it's essential that you um, learn about these filmmakers and seek out their films. I guarantee you'll end up with a, a fulsome watch list after checking this out. Um, yeah, I do. Despite my misgivings, I highly recommend this. So Women Make Film is now available to rent online as a bundle via MIFF 68.5 until August 23rd. It's only 20 bucks for the whole 14 hours, and you can watch them throughout the festival. Each of the five segments is treated like its own movie. Just head to MIFF's website, which is 2020.miff.com.au. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. Yeah, so, you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick Ford, Cerise Howard, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So, on the second of our two specials looking at the films of Myth 68 and a half, we've reviewed She Dies Tomorrow, La La Ronya, and Women Make Film, which we urge you all to see, all three of those. But now we just wanted to take a very quick rip around, whip around the table um, with some individual festival recommendations. Special guest star Cerise Howard, what, what else have you seen that you've enjoyed?
3: Well, I've especially tuned into some Eastern European liberalism, um, as is my want. And I can highly recommend Servants for Ivan um, a film qu- quite reminiscent of Pavel Pavlikovsky's Eda of a few years ago for its noirishness and its setting in a religious institution. Sort of a totalitarian noir. If that already sounds like something that tickles your fancy, you'll enjoy this film. It's beautiful and miserable um, <laughs> and tense. Um, Wonderful. Uh, I, I also really enjoy it's a, a film
1: from Ukraine. I think we're having some technical difficulties, Saris. You're sort of zapping it in and out there, unfortunately. Oh, yeah? Yeah.
3: Oh, uh, I'm dropping we can hear out, you now. Yeah. Now you we can? can hear you again. Yeah. So, sorry, what was um, that I'm second off. one? Uh, Atlantis. Atlantis. Atlantis by Valentin uh Vasianovich or something like that. <laughs> I sense I'm dropping out again. No. No, no, we've got you. Perhaps you take over. i I keep dropping out, evidently.
1: <laughs> Sorry. So uh so that's uh the wonders of technology. So uh servants and Atlantis, uh, are Cerise's recommendations. Um Sally.
0: Um the other thing that I looked at this week was it was a special screening, wasn't it, Paul? It was It
1: was a spotlight screening available yeah, of, Friday night only.
0: Of um Corpus Christi, which I really loved. Um I think it was my favorite narrative so far of the um of the festival. Wow. Um mainly the the lead performance, I think he was just so captivating and amazing. I loved it. It was um so Basically, it's the story of a juvenile delinquent that really wants to be a priest and impersonates a priest for a short amount of time um, after he leaves juvie. And it was, the story was nothing, um, I guess, revolutionary, but uh, the, the performances in it were just so incredible that I just found it completely captivating, especially... I don't know his name off the top of my head, the lead actor, and he was like yeah. I loved it.
1: Bartosz, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, his first name's Bartosz, I know for. that. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, and again, such a captivating lead performance. Yeah, he was just amazing. And, um, yeah, great compassion and humanity, really, really clear-eyed stuff. Yeah, I dug it as well.
2: Mm, I had um, that on my list, but I, I missed out on it. I think it will get a release
1: somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Fingers
2: crossed. Yep.
1: So that's Corpus Christi, flick?
2: Uh yeah. I watched Shiva Baby last night. Uh I enjoyed it immensely. It's only like I'm looking se- forward to this one. Yeah. It's um it's only 70 minutes. It's super quick. Um it's basically about a young woman who um uh, attends a Shiva, which is like a sort of week-long mourning period after someone's died. And um, it just gets so fantastically uh awkward (laughs) so she's got her like successful um nemesis ex-girlfriend there um there's this constellation of like aunts and uncles and family friends all worrying about like her future job prospects and dating life and then the surprise arrival of her sugar daddy (laughs) um, (laughs) it's just really darkly comic and a lot of fun um i enjoyed it immensely and my other one is unfortunately sold out but it is the last and first men which is um, directed by the wonderful um, film composer Johan Johannessen. Um, it's fabulous. Uh, it looks fabulous, sorry. But I just wanted to give it a bit of a shout-out because even though that's sold out, there is a Miff Talk, um, Art of the Score, which is a fantastic podcast, is doing uh, the film of the film music of Johan Johannessen. So that is still available. So you can check that out.
1: I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, because that was going to be accompanied by an MSO performance mm, originally, and that was cancelled because yeah. of stage four, and it's been replaced by this art of the score talk. Yeah, yeah that looks like the film representation of one of his scores. Like it's it just does, dark, doesn't rude. it?
2: Yeah.
1: And another Tilda's
2: over. <laughs> yes, Tilda's all over myth this year.
1: Um, very quickly, I could say I highly recommend Shirley. Um, which oh, I'm yeah. sure is a film that might come up on the show later this year. I don't know if it ever comes out um, with Elizabeth Moss as horror novelist Shirley Jackson. Um, yeah, I loved this. Such a great character study. It's from Josephine Decker, who directed Madeline's Madeline um, and uh, Thou wast Lovely and oh, something like and uh, Butter on the Latch. She's an American independent author um, that does this really subjective kind of. Um, anxiety-inducing stuff and this is her first kind of this is like her move towards something more straight edge and narrative and she blows it away it's it's really great and elizabeth moss is scarily good as always so that's shirley and uh corpus christi and atlantis and servants and shiva baby and last and first men so catch those as well you've been listening to primal screen on triple r with Ford, Sally Christie, Cerise Howard, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. And on Spotlight on Miff 68 and a Half, we reviewed She Dies Tomorrow, La La Ronya, and Women Make Film, which are all available on Miff 68 and a half's online platform until the festival ends this Sunday, August 23rd. Head to their website, 2020.miff.com.au.
0: Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R.